GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Mental health is important to all of us and there is increasing focus on improving mental health services. The Mental Welfare Society has welcomed the government's promise to train more counsellors and generally to provide mental health support in education. We spoke to Conchita Triai and we found out more about Little White Butterflies, a new play written and directed by Gamper students Ariana Giannini and Danny Fernandez. But first, it's World Polio Day and it's been marked locally by the Rotary Club. I spoke to polio survivor Eric Robottom and first to the Rotary Club's Ron Wagemakers. The Rotary Club of Gibraltar has marked World Polio Day with representatives from uh, walking from John McIntosh Square to Case Mates this morning. They were accompanied by polio survivor Eric Rowbottom uh, and uh, the charity's Ron Wagemaker uh, joins me today with Mr. Rowbottom himself. Uh, good afternoon to you both. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Jonathan. What, what's the significance of marking World Polio Day? Well, since 1988, uh, the Rotary Club has um, uh, been a founding member of the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. Um, polio is a very uh, disabilitating uh, uh, disease. And uh, through the decades, um, Rotary has, uh, with partners, more than 25 billion children were um, vaccinated um, with the oral polio vaccine. So that's a, that's an amazing statistic. Uh, there's a real sort of there has been a real global effort to to bring those numbers down, and and it has worked. No? Yeah, yeah, we've um, reduced it by ninety nine point nine percent compared to uh, the nineteen eighties, which uh, sounds like an amazing uh, effort, which it is. Unfortunately, it's it's not the full hundred uh, percent. The trouble is is that it's still prevalent in in. Uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan, um, and um, we need to make sure that um, uh, it doesn't return to polio-free countries, and this is why we need to uh, keep the effort uh, to eradicate it once and for all. And uh, and you, you mentioned there that it was a debilitating, debilitating disease. Let's uh, bring in Eric, who is a, a polio survivor himself. Um, uh, Eric, tell us tell us your story and and how polio impacted your life yeah well good afternoon um obviously it impacted my whole life uh because i i was eight years old when i contracted the disease uh, and i am almost certain that i am not the person i was supposed to be today uh, had i not contracted this disease so uh i remember playing i was eight years old i was playing football one afternoon and the next thing i know like four, five, six days, I can't remember exactly how long after that. I woke up in hospital not being able to move my body at all. I was completely paralysed from the neck down. Uh, and uh, that was a life-changing experience for an eight-year-old. Uh, so it, it, it is a... De- I can't say that word, deliberate. De- yeah, an awful... <laughs> an awful, awful horrible, awful uh, um, disease which can impact... Um, very badly on on the person. I mean, and I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I don't know if, if your your uh, your viewers 
or your listeners uh, have read about it, but there were in the 60s and 70s, there were people who were li- literally living in chambers called iron lungs because they couldn't survive outside that. And to date, there's still a lady who's 60 odd years old who still is still in the USA, still living in one of those chambers. Oh, so okay. it, it, it's, it's quite an awful disease. And well, uh, the Rotary Club, International Rotary Club, for the last fifty odd years has made an incredible effort, and the results are there to be seen. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, well, well done to the Rotary Club on, on that effort, uh, an international effort, uh, and you've got a, a you're, you're part of now a, a, a global um, partnership, global polio eradication initiative, um, which means that m- your money, the money that you raise in Gibraltar and elsewhere, as the Rotary. Uh, is is doubled by Bill Gates. Absolutely, and we're uh, the good people that uh, 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 helped us and uh, gave us money this morning in the Main Street. Um, it's good to know that their money's doubled by uh, uh, Bill Gates and Melinda uh, Foundation. So, uh, uh, thank you very much. Excellent. Uh, and uh, 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 Eric, when you when you see, see this in the calendar, World Polio Day, uh, it, it must mean a lot to you, and 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 it it must be sort of bittersweet in some respects because I think that it is a story of vaccine success yeah. worldwide. Absolutely. Um, obviously, it, 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 you you weren't able to to have the vaccine in time. Uh, yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's a difficult day to be very perfectly honest, uh, because it brings back a lot of horrible uh, memories uh, from my childhood and it's not easy for me to, to uh, in, in come celebrate this day. But there is some celebration because, as Ron quite rightly said, 99.9% is a great effort. But, but one case is one case too many. Nowadays, there shouldn't be anybody having to go through this uh, in this day and age, uh, absolutely nobody yeah. should be uh, uh, a polio victim or a polio survivor. And as uh, well, we've seen um, uh, in association with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic a rise of um, anti-vax thinkers, people who yes. think that uh, that they don't want to uh, pursue vaccines, they don't want to inject themselves or, or take any um, form of, of vaccination uh, because they consider it, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, and generalizing, but they consider it to be an outside agent yes. introduced into their body, which might not be natural. Um, w- what are your thoughts uh, on World Polio Day, on the sort of growing anti-vax movement? Well, personally, uh, I don't subscribe to that at all because um, the vaccines are being tried and tested for over 50, 60 years. And uh, even if there's a slight um, something that might happen, uh, the disease is infinitely more dangerous than any side effect that the, any vaccine will give you. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not a medical expert, obviously. Uh, I'm just talking with experience, from experience, and I would urge everybody to make sure that they're vaccinated against, specifically today, against polio, because uh, if you contract it, then you're in for a very horrible, horrible time. And, and you're a survivor, no? It has claimed lives. Yeah, absolutely. It has claimed lots and lots of lives. Lots of lives, yes. Uh, Ron, final word then on World Polio Day? Um, well, I would uh, invite everybody to visit entpolio.org and see how you can uh, get involved. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott.
We're going to talk about mental health now, uh, obviously a, a topic which concerns us all. Uh, good afternoon to Conchita Triay of the Mental Welfare Society. Um, how are you doing, Conchita? And, uh, and what are the sort of main talking points for your charity? Um, obviously, bearing in mind that uh, we have had some stories in the news in recent weeks and also that uh, where we are in the electoral, uh, electoral cycle. Uh, good afternoon, Jonathan. Um, well, there's... <clears throat> lots of different points uh we we have a uh, uh, 11 points in our priority list that uh, we called it uh, in no uh, in no particular order of preference but one is the long-term sheltered accommodation that we've spoken about uh, quite a few times for service users that we feel cannot live alone in the community and although we acknowledge that there has been a concerted effort to to have much more to provide much more care for people living on their own in the community, we still feel that there is a nucleus of people. Uh, according to, to you know, information that we've been given, well, information, feedback from psychiatrists, yeah, it, you know, oh, that right. we've asked, I've asked informally, I said, okay, how many people? He said, they said two different ones. Uh, between 20, 25, for example, would benefit from that, from having a place where there was always somebody that they could turn to. Uh, and I know that some of these people who live on their own they do live quite lonely lives because, um, you know, they might get the care for a number of hours in the day, but then the rest of the time they're, they're very much on their own. So, so, so the solution would be what, sheltered well, accommodation? Well, we think that it, a purpose-built or a building that is chosen and, and um, refurbished or whatever to accommodate people, you know, where they would have their own rooms. I think it's important to have your own room not sharing uh, with anybody because I think everybody needs their own personal space even if it's a small room um especially if you have mental health issues um but that would then have communal areas uh, that they could uh, benefit from when they when they wanted to be with with other people and um to sort of state the obvious or to spell it out different to ocean views which is a, an acute sort of well, obviously, attention it, yes that's right that's right that's when when somebody's going through a particular uh, period of of um, illness, uh, but uh, the other thing, the other Cause, place cause would be a home. It would be sure. a home, you know, in the same way that we have homes for elderly people. And nobody thinks it's strange at this point in time to say, okay, you you have uh, buildings, and we have quite a few in Gibraltar that that are uh, specifically built with with el the elderly in mind. Well, we are talking about having these places for people who have serious mental health issues that make it very difficult for them to live uh, on their own in, in the community. And that's just one point. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and we'll move on to the next point, if you like. Um, but let me just ask you, uh, have you um, had a conversation with uh, the um, well, the GSLP Liberals, I suppose, who, mm -hmm. are, uh, who were voted in? Did you speak to them uh, as part of the sort of election build-up? I, I, I had a meeting with uh, with uh, Christian Santos, and we were talking. We were actually talking about this, about supported accommodation. We haven't spoken yet to the to the new health minister. We hope to. We will be writing uh, to her after giving her a bit of time to to settle in, and we hope to to meet with her and to talk see to her. what scope there is for for That's making right. these well, ideas a reality. No, that in, that is one idea. There are other things. I mean, according to the GSLP manifesto, there are lots of things that they're uh, talking about improving, increasing, um, you know, more mental health support in education, uh, mental health locally trained counsellors, an increase in, in those. Um, 
more school counsellors. So there is quite quite uh, an emphasis on on trying to provide a better service uh, throughout uh, the community, but particularly focusing on children. Because of course, if, if you catch or you diagnose uh, some of these issues early on, it's less likely that they are going to become really entrenched, difficult uh, things. Not in uh, every case, obviously, but in, in cases where you can do that yeah. kind of uh, Increase the likelihood of, of it not being a long-term right. sort That's of right. thing. Um, okay, and, uh, and, and what else? We know that uh, you've also uh, expressed concerns in the past about uh, continuity of care. Well, continuity of care—that's that's, that's a, t- a tricky one because it's it's to do with the professionals. You know, we we have met with a number of professionals uh, who have told us that they are they haven't been happy in the way that they they they've been treated, um, or they don't get the support that they needed um, in terms of, for example, um, supervision. You know, if you're a counsellor, if you're a, if you're a psychologist, you you need to have something that is called supervision, where you yourself speak to somebody who is on your same of the same grade or above about whatever issues you're you're talking about and i know that in the past it's happened that that professionals haven't had this paid for and they've had to do it themselves and sometimes it happens that they're not very happy with the structure or lack of structure and and so that's why we say that it's important that when they do get uh, mental health uh, professionals that uh, we have a system in place where where these uh, individuals want to stay on and and not leave you know after a year or or two years um you know that we need to create a, a situation as far as possible where they will want to stay so that people have continuity of care and they don't see four five six as has happened uh, psychiatrists over a period of uh, of a few years with, with uh, psychiatry in particular, or, mm. or I suppose it applies to the, the different it, health professionals both as psychiatry well. Psychiatry and, and 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 psychology, yeah, it's okay. happened in in both cases. Um, other things that we well, this is one of the things we have here: much easier access to therapeutic services, with the aim of reducing the over medicalization of the community. That was a term used in the in the twenty nineteen audit that too many people in Gibraltar were relying, were on. relying on, on medication. We also call for the implementation of a suicide audit and a suicide prevention policy, which was also uh, mentioned in the in the audit. And this is something that we've spoken about, we've, we've talked about a few times, but it hasn't what, so what, happened. What, a suicide audit is what? Well, I think, I think it, would, it would mean it would be an analysis of the suicides that have taken place over a period of time and the circumstances leading up to them with a view of, of trying to prevent them. Of course, which, um, which yeah. makes a lot of sense, but, yeah. but to the best of our knowledge hasn't yet happened. No, as far as I know it hasn't happened. As far as we know it hasn't happened. And something else that we, we've called for is a formal mental health budget which adequately reflects the importance of mental health. I mean, we've had the politicians now, the leaders of both parties, talk about how mental health is as important as physical health. But, you know, that has to be translated into into action. Um, And we do feel that uh, over the years, things have improved in mental health. Certainly, um, there is much more awareness. There is much more of an effort to try to facilitate things. But... Um, we feel that there's still there's, that it will always be a lot of work to be done, but there is still work to be done also in terms of of um, providing this 
a better mental health system because you also have a more coordinated system between mental health and the care agency, for example, because the care agency has a crucial role to play. And do you feel then that, um, uh, you know, talking as we are, sort of just a, a matter of weeks after the uh, election, that it's a, it's a good moment really to, to sort of have these conversations because there is, uh, the, 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 you know, it taps into the electoral cycle where uh, a new government is thinking about a four-year plan and, and it's a time frame when um, significant things might be achieved. I think so, I think so. I mean, I think a very something very uh, important that is here somewhere, if I can find it, yes, this is part of the GSLP manifesto. It talks about developing and implementing new mental health services such as a community mental health hub and a crisis support. Well, a crisis support team already exists, and it's, I think it's a question of just it becoming increasingly effective. But this community mental health hub is, is, is something that in the past we've also... A campaign for a drop-in centre, a place where people could go to to have a chat with somebody who might reassure them, uh, where they could have a cup of coffee, where they could meet other people, where they could get a lot of information, maybe to do with housing, with that, with all sorts of related. That's different to the function fulfilled at, that at Coaling Island. Coaling Island. I mean, in the past, going back to 2018, I came across this yesterday. A, a meeting we had. Uh, with Minister Costa at the time, and we were we were talking about the need to really do something with with uh, Coaling Island, you know, and to, for it to be a much more welcoming place, for it to be a place where there was much more information. Um, but it is a different role because Coaling Island is primarily a place where people go to get their medication, to get injections, and so on. So that also has to exist separately. Yeah, it's, it's a question of both, both uh, being both. being necessary. That's right. Okay. Uh, uh, final thoughts then, Conchita, on on where we are uh, in the sort of evolution of mental health services and your hopes. I think I think we're in a better place than we used to be. I think there is still an awful lot to be done, um, but I think. There are some people in the system who, who want to do things the right way. I mean, I think there are quite a few people in the system who want to do things the right, the right way. But I think it's a question of getting everybody in the system doing it. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an appropriate time to remind politicians of what they've said in their manifesto and to make sure that they start as soon as possible. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. A new play called Little White Butterflies, uh, which will be put on uh, this Thursday and Friday and is organised uh, by Gamper and has been written by and directed by Gamper students who join me now uh, in the Radio Gibraltar studio. Good afternoon to Danny Fernandez and to Ariana Giannani. Thank you so much for, for being here. How are you guys? I'm good. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well. Welcome back. Not your first broadcast interview. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and uh, and good afternoon to Danny as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about Little White Butterflies and how, how that story started. Well, um, at the beginning of the year, Tanya, our director of Gampa, she came up to me and she said um, she wanted to do more than just performing because a lot of the time we're taught you know how to become performers we're both actresses um there's a lot of musicians but we don't often do behind the scenes work um production sides and tanya wanted to start working towards that and she came up to me and she's like i have this really talented writer and she's written this play 
about 20 minutes long. She knew that I was interested in production work because I've done like lighting with her before, sound with her before. And she said, do you want to do it? And I said, yes, I um, read the play and I loved it. And so we went ahead with it. So, so this is a play that, uh, that you wrote, Ariana? Yes. So tell us a little bit about the, the themes that it explores. So it's all about it's exploring the themes on just being a teenager. Again, it, it does link back to my, my movie. Um, there, are, there are inner voices that have roles in the, in the play that it's just to represent the voices inside your head in a more visual scenario. So we all have these inner conversations. Yes. Uh, and, and it's about bringing that to life on on a mm-hmm. on a stage yep. which must be difficult do you, do you give sort of different um ideas uh, in your in your brain uh, a whole different sort of uh, person to to represent yeah. them yeah for sure so you have two characters who are very different from each other you know one is more positive negative um they're named the head and the heart so that pretty much explains their characters and like their the logical sort of yeah. rational mm-hmm. versus the more sort of emotional right okay interesting and it was um honestly a challenge to write it was the first play i ever wrote and um before love grace and i went to tanya and i was like you know i want to put this on i want to take it further and you know gampa helped me make it into a, a real play amazing so uh, how what what was how did you what did you need to do to it if you like because you, you've written for television before what was different? What did you need to do to take your original draft and, and make it something that could be performed on the stage? To be honest, it was tough. There were like seven different drafts throughout the year. Um, we had cut down a lot to make it um, easier to perform. And in the end, the characters and the the stage direction is very different, but it works really well and it highlights what I wanted to be highlighted. Uh, and uh, from the production perspective, if we can bring in Danny, what uh, what were the main challenges? Well, um, like you said before, she's quite used to writing for screen. So in screen, when you have TV scenes and you're going from maybe a bedroom to a classroom, you'll just B-roll and you'll go straight to there. But you can't do that in plays, especially with us, where we might not have access to like changing sets. So you have to be quite creative. So that was a challenge for me to kind of visualize, well, how do I represent the changing of a setting without physically changing the setting? How can I represent that? Because it's also, you have to work within the confines of uh, what is a fairly small space uh, up at the magazine theatre, no? Yeah, exactly. So I'm not, maybe if I worked in maybe Macintosh Hall, I might be able to change some sets, maybe have some platforms I can roll in and out. But the magazine is quite a small space, so I can't be changing around the sets a lot so we have to use a lot of symbolism a lot of audio and visual instead of maybe physical items that were moving so you've got a screen or a projector what we use mostly is audio so for example in one part of the play they go on an airplane and so we have some hustle and bustle some sound cues and then we change the lighting to um, a slightly colder lighting instead of the warm lighting that we had before when we were in school that's clever. So it changes the atmosphere, and, yeah. and um, obviously, on, being on radio, we we love audio, and it's very <laughs> powerful. Sometimes that you can underestimate how much uh, a little piece of audio can sort of take your mind somewhere. No? Exactly. That's what I use. I use a lot of like one hour 
um, atmospheric music to kind of, kind of change scenes, have it in the background so that people, you don't need to tell people that you're changing scenes. Like humans are quite intuitive. If they just hear it, they'll be able to come to that conclusion by themselves. Uh, but it must be so exciting to sort of um, look at a uh, play and start sort of bringing it to life and thinking how you represent it on the stage, the challenges, working them out. It's so much fun because I'm I'm used to become um, a performer and Gampa, I've been performing with them for like six years and I love it. But I've always been really interested in kind of this the um, production side of it, the behind the scenes of it. And I remember when I was younger, I kind of, if there was a problem, I kind of be sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I could like tell them maybe a tip that I wanted to tell them. And now that it's, I'm in control, I'm able to do those decisions. And then I look at my performers and I ask them for help. And it's really nice to kind of have that baton handed to me for this play. So you are officially the show's producer then? I'm the director. I think the producer is probably Gampa. Okay. But I am definitely the director. I have help from Tanya. Thank God I couldn't do it without her. But I also look to my performers as well because I'm sure that once I'm gone, they're going to want to carry on. And hopefully this is a new thing that Gampa can start doing. So, um, Ariana, if we bring you back in, are you one of the performers and, and, and who else is involved? Yeah, so I I play the role of head and then you have um, the other... They're only It's a small cast, six people. You have the the heart and then you have our protagonist and some other characters um obviously those people were also quite involved in the making of the movie so they are some familiar faces as well they are quite um big people in gampa as well and i think once we had all of the the sound the lighting like from the acting perspective of things our characters really came to life once we had everything in place and uh, we, we've referenced uh, your uh, film a few times, but let me ask you, given that it's had a few airings now and we've also had the behind-the-scenes airing um, mm-hmm. on, on GBC television, uh, what's the response been like to Love, Grace? It's It's been really good, honestly. I couldn't ask for any better. Now it's just about spreading it beyond Gibraltar, maybe you know, entering film um, festivals, competitions, seeing where I can take it. Exciting. Um, and uh, Danny, uh, to, to work with um, somebody like Ariana, who at a young age is, is already creating her own stories and, and helping to visualise them in film, on the stage, uh, it must be super exciting. Uh, you are yourself a, a young person, but, but to know that, uh, you know, th- th- there is this creativity and that it is now sort of, uh, you, as Gampa, you are able to channel it and put on productions which are, um, effectively not just written but also produced and directed uh, by young people that's for me is is super exciting it's amazing it's it's one of those things that when we learn our craft in Gampa you you learn how to perform and stuff but a lot of people are drawn to kind of making it I, I think that everyone when they were younger kind of made little stories probably not to the extent that Ariane has been able to do but I think everyone's kind of, to a certain extent, interested in it. And for me, it's been amazing to have the actual writer there because I think as a director, as a performer, you're thinking, you're reading the script and you're like, well, what on earth did they mean by this? Yeah. Why on earth have they done this decision? Why have they written it like this? How do I interpret it? And I can ask her and I can be like, Ariana, what did you mean? Um, How would you like to see this done visually? And that has been one of the best things for my first time directing. 
Amazing. Um, such an exciting project. We wish you the very best of luck with Little White Butterflies. Uh, so you're performing it. It's, it's free to the public on Thursday and Friday at the Magazine Theatre. Uh, at what time? At 8.30. Mm -hmm. 8.30 is the start of the production. Yeah. So uh, people who want to attend should be there by eight or quarter past eight, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, the magazine theatre is a is a beautiful uh, space uh, just off. Um, uh, what's the road called? Um, Flat Bastion Road. Flat Bastion Road, just before you, or as you get as you as you start Gardner's Road or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much to Danny Fernandez and Ariana Giannini for coming in to talk to us today. Thank, Thank you. you. And best of luck. Break a leg, no, as they say. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.